Hello. Hey. It is it is with such great excitement that we are finally sitting down to record our first episode of Vegan Theology for the least of these. Uh, I am Sarah Hale. I'm Kevin Hale. How are you? And, uh, you know, this is something that we have been wanting to do for a very long time. Yeah. Just we are always sitting in our living room like we are right now and uh, discussing these topics, uh, theology and where we are in our own theolo uh, theological journey. And uh, we just felt like this is something that we'd like to do in more of a community. And so we're hoping that we can start a community with you and our listener. And please email us at any time, vegantheology at gmail. Yeah. Because we do want this to be a dialogue. We do want your feedback and we want your thoughts. And so, yeah, I think that this is something that is always on our minds, especially as Christians, you know, talking about our veganism and how it, how it has been woven into our theology. And it's not something that we hear about. Uh, discussed very often, unless you really seek it out. I mean, we don't, we're not trying to say that we are the first right. uh, Christians to ever consider some of these things. We know that you can find writings and sermons from, you know, theologians and pastors from, you know, even centuries ago, um, considering some of these topics. Right. So, but it does still feel in its own way like cutting edge. In a way. I think so, and I think even we have at least two authors' books we have where they mention there's a lack of theology on creation care, and one of them specifically on vegan theology, so to speak. And so one of her goals in writing her book, called Veganjelical, um, was to start to fill that gap and start to contribute toward mm -hmm. um, some kind of theology on creation care, especially around animals. Mm-hmm. Right, so it's, we're not saying we're the first, but it has never really become mainstream. It hasn't ever really become part of, I don't know, just common parlance from the pulpit or in the in church culture. Right. So well, in some ways, I mean, let's be honest, it, it even gets made fun of. So, I mean, it gets laughed at. It's so. still a very foreign... It's an alien idea. ...idea. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, like the idea that there is a gap within theology that um, it, it's starting maybe to be filled more and more and uh, certainly something that's been on our hearts. Right. And as we'll discuss, it's funny to us because I think when you read the biblical text, Genesis and the final, you know, Genesis 1 and 2, but then also the end, the revelation, um, you start to get a sense that, you know, maybe God is vegan. Haha. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think the point being that once you start being open to looking at the text uh, a little bit differently um, or focusing on the texts that often get overlooked or glossed over, um, you start to see a cohesive, coherent, you know, canon-wide ethos. Right. right. Almost a... Uh, as. Sandra Richter describes in her book a, a systematic sort of representation, you know, uh, when you look at the Prince of Peace and all of the uh, mm. mention of peace and 
things like this, uh, the lion will lay down with the lamb, all of these things, God's original intentions that we see in Genesis 1 and 2. Um, yeah, you start to see a systematic representation of God's character in his creation, right. which we'll get into. Which is, I think, we were discussing earlier, I think that is the whole point of theology for us, is finding out as much as we can about God's character, about God. And, you know, I think that we definitely want to set the tone for this podcast right from the get-go, and we want to really try to stay true and in alignment with kind of an ethos of this podcast. I think, uh, speaking for myself, but I know for probably a lot of people, uh, you know, a pet peeve or, you know, a criticism people could have of theolog- uh, th- theology and theological discussions is that they are prone to, and they just so quickly can become a conversation that is just a lot of ego, a lot of um, derision and condescension. Yeah. And if, you know, like, can you believe that so-and-so believes this? Or, you know, we've got it right and everybody else is wrong right. k- kind of dynamic. And we really want to stay away from that tone right. <laughs> uh, and that spirit. And if you think about, I mean, theology is a human endeavor. And yeah. like all human endeavors, you know, the main goal should be to glorify God right. with this endeavor. Uh, but, you know, it's literally the study of God. And, of course, we'll never, this side of eternity, we will never fully comprehend God or fully know or understand God. Right. But the whole point of being human is to enjoy God and to know God and to worship God. Right. And try to make sense of the text he has given us. Right. Correct. So, right. So, yeah, we really do want to have the ethos, the pathos of like, you know, the whole point of theology is just to seek God's face. And we should always walk away after a theological study. We should walk away with a spirit of worship and a spirit right. of wonder, a, a, a new, a renewed love for God. Right. And I think also kind of what we're saying too, I mean, I'm, I'm a big student of Dr. John Walton. Um, when I was at Moody Bible Institute, he, his latest book, he talks about not necessarily being right, but he talks about having, being faithful, Mm -hmm. being faithful to the text, a faithful reading. And I think, you know, that is what we're trying to accomplish too, is that a consistent faithful reading of the text from beginning to end, Right. What what does it say and what does it reveal about God and his character? And I love that I love that he he made that distinction. Um he said that I think talking about his most recent book, Wisdom for Faithful Reading, Principles and Practices for Old Testament Interpretation. Um he said he used the word faithful, faithful reading intentionally instead of the right way to read or the right reading because right. He said, you know, there's so many things about which I used to be certain and I've completely changed my mind about. And I'm sure there's things today that, you know, 10 years, 20 years from now, I'm going to have changed my mind about. Uh, that's just the nature of this, of the condition we're in. Right. And so, you know, same for myself and for you, Kevin, I'm sure for a lot of people listening, you know, the theology I had as a six-year-old or a 13-year-old or a 20-year-old or, you know, now I'm well into uh, midlife, you know, yeah, I couldn't fit anymore 
in the theology I used to hold, right. right? And I know that my theology will continue to grow and develop and evolve as we continue to discuss and study and um, work it out in a church community. Um, and so, yeah, there, there, I definitely, I know we both feel we want to come at this from a place of humility and just... Right vulnerability and, well, and discovery you yeah. know we're kind of discovering you know, on our journey our theological journey we're kind of discovering the text and what god is revealing in it and given where we are now uh, as vegans um you know all of a sudden we're starting to see the text in a vegan light and mm-hmm. and yet we're not hearing that talked about in church and in in mainstream evangelicalism so to speak mm-hmm. yeah. So. yeah so I think that it's important to remember that we all are theologians, whether we think we are or not. Um, even if you're an atheist or an agnostic, you have a theology. It's either what you don't believe about God and why, or, you know, and lots of times I think our theology can be or is subconscious. It's, right. it's something that we haven't brought out into the light and really looked at. And so... You know, no matter where you are on your own theological journey, um, I think that, you know, we welcome you into this conversation and, you know, we will be as honest and vulnerable with it as as we can be. And and knowing that, you know, it's it's going to be ever changing. um, Right. But it's within discussion and it's within conversation that we can really start to maybe hone it and develop it. Right. yeah, that's that's the goal. That's the goal of what we're doing. Right. Uh, and like I said, we, it's something that because it is something that's not being talked about in our in our church circles or uh, you know within our Christian community, it, it's something that feels like it's just burning within us. Right. It's like sometimes we feel like we just have it stuck in our throat all the time, and and yeah, so it's it's almost like therapy for us to do a that's podcast. Yeah. Uh, you know and. I'm not saying that we've been called like Jeremiah, the, the, one of the major prophet Jeremiah, but, you know, I just, I can't help think of that verse that, you know, many of us are familiar with, that his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. That's similar to how this, this word feels. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, <coughs> I think we both feel that, you know, saying this with the... the biggest degree of humility possible. I, I do feel like God has laid this on our hearts and, you know, and we do feel very compelled to share it and, you know, explore it within the church. Right. So. hundred percent. All right. So Sarah and I met at Bible college in Chicago and one at the school we went to Moody Bible Institute, um, every student basically every Bible student, which was everybody, was required to take three classes of systematic theology. Now, systematic theology is broken up into roughly nine branches um, in terms of evangelical theology is concerned. And, you know, recently Sarah and I were sitting here pondering, you know, where does creation care fit into one of those nine branches? Mm. And, you know... Do you want to name those nine branches? Oh, boy. Well, well, there's theology proper. Right. So that's the the study of who who God is. Who God is. There's pneumatology, which is the study of the spirit. Mm -hmm. There's uh, 
There must be Christology then. Christology, Christ. Or Trinitarian right. theology. There's ecclesiology, which is about the church. Yeah. There's soteriology, which is about salvation. Yeah. Um, there is... Theology of anthrop- anthropology. Anthropology. How many is that? Anthropological theology? Uh, yeah. Anthrop- like that. <laughs> anthropological theology, theology, whatever. Okay. The study of man or Eschatology. Whatever. Eschatology, which is the study of end times. How many is that? That's eight. That's eight. <laughs> That's eight. And there's one more. Oh, boy. Oh. <laughs> You know what? Yeah, I, th- I think it was bibliology, like mm-hmm. the study of the the Bible, the canon, inerrancy, those kinds of things. Even though within all these other things we're talking about, like you know, humanity or anthropos, there was what we call homartology, hum- which is the study of sin. And then I think within theolo- theology proper, there's the study of angels or angel- angelology. So anyway, but yeah. I think the, the the nine main branches. At any rate, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think as we have developed and developing our theology, um, especially recently, and thinking about what about the theology of the rest of creation? Like, why isn't there a study, a field, a, a established, developed field of study that talks about the rest of creation and how that fits into God's plan and our, and our role in right. interacting with the rest of theology, or in, sorry, in interacting with the rest of creation. Right. And it's funny, I bet you someone listening to this might be like, well, there is. It falls under this branch. But mm. but again, it seems like it's an afterthought. We, mm. we don't really discuss it that often that much. I don't remember discussing yeah. it. It's not a, it ha, in my experience, um, it has never seemed like a serious consideration. Right. And we'll get into that in this podcast. One of our goals is to answer that question. Why don't Christians... Or what have we been missing? What have we been missing, but why don't Christians... Why isn't this a serious topic for Christians? Um, Yeah. And we're going to try to answer that uh, down the road here. Yeah. So there's a real, um, I would call it an anthropocentrism. I think that our theology has been really anthropocentric. Um, throughout the history of the church. And in some ways that makes, that makes a lot of sense to me. If you think about the period of human history, when Jesus walked this earth and the period of human history immediately following the early church period, Mm. it was a revolutionary idea to believe that every single human is created by God, loved by God, and has worth and value. Like yeah. that was a revolutionary idea at that time. Uh, you know, at that time, people believed, you know, it was a lot more tribal and patriarchal and, you know, nationalistic, to, you know, and, you know, your, your social, your financial status had a lot to do with your worth. You know, human value was kind of a new idea. Universal human value was a very... It was revelation, right. basically. And so, and if you fast forward to our time, for the most part, I think it, universal human value is an accepted mainstream part of our ethics. Right. I mean, we, Values, s- yeah. we still come up against it where we find that s- some group of people are being um, oppressed or they're Marginalized, not... Marginalized, yeah. Yeah. They're on the margins of society. They're they're mocked or they're not helped they're not given the help or the the rights that they deserve right. so it, it's not like it's completely been solved right. but 
compared to the the time of the early church, we've come a long way. Right. And so it makes sense that maybe that's how our theology started, was just focusing on, mm-hmm. okay, can we all just agree that we're all created in the image of God, and therefore human life has value, every human life. But I, I think we would like to pr- <coughs> you know, put forward the idea that, okay, now we've accepted that, that all human li- life has value, and let's go further. Right. Let's go further. Given what we know about God and God's character, let's go a little bit further and start to consider how does God feel about the rest of God's creation, about the non-human animals we share this planet with that God created, the the vast you know uh, variety that God created, and the beautiful, abundant renewal of that He's given to nature, and 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 to go back to you know, the first commandment he gave to people, like, be responsible for my creation. I'm, I'm, I'm passing the baton to you, which we're going to get into later, right. th- what we find. So, so yeah, I think we're, we're trying to challenge the anthropocentric theology that we historically have held. Right, and I think one of the ways we're approaching this podcast, and I think the way we approach theology in general is, is from a what we call a biblical theology point of view. And, you know, we studied biblical theology, I guess, in the late 90s at Moody. Um, with under I studied under uh, Doug Kennard, and mm-hmm. uh, so did you as well, right? And, um, and now it's become quite the thing. Biblical theology is, is everywhere. And, I mean, just to define that, the way I understand it, um, it's funny, you go Google it, and it's, you, get, you get a definition of biblical theology that almost sounds like systematic theology. But... Um, the way I think about it is that, and the way I've learned about it, <clears throat> is that, you know, if you want to study, say, the theology of a certain book of the Bible, say, what is the theology of Genesis? And what can you learn about God from just the book of Genesis, if that's the only thing you had? Or what is the, if you could go with an author like the, you know, Paul, the Pauline epistles, what is like Paul's theology? You know, you could just study, you know, First Corinthians, but you could also study all of his epistles. And you could try to develop his thought and what theology he was trying to I want to say push, but um, his theology, you know, whatever God was trying to reveal through him. And so, you know, one of the ways I think we're trying to approach this, and, and interestingly, I've been reading the book by Sandra Richter. She was a professor at Wheaton, um, and she made the statement in her book, Stewards of Eden, that all biblical theology starts in Genesis. And I thought this was very interesting because that's kind of where we're starting, Genesis 1 and 2. And I almost thought it would be a fun challenge if to have listeners, or if you wanted to read Genesis 1 and 2 and read basically Revelation 21 and into 22. And what if you just read that for a week? And what kind of, what would that do for your theology? Because what you might see, and we're going to get into this in this podcast down the road, but you would see, and we're going to try to get into some of this today in terms of what does it say about the character of God, who God is, especially if you compare our creation story to some of the ancient Near Eastern creation stories. Um, and, the, and these are the neighbors of the Israelites as they were growing up in the Hebrews. So anyway, we'll get into that. Yeah. Uh, the only other thing I, I thought maybe we should add to our definition of biblical theology would be that you try to get into the mind of the author. You consider who is this author, Right to the best of your ability. You, right? yeah, you're, you're trying to get into the idea of um, what context, what is the cultural historical context that this book is written, 
And what was the original intended audience? Who were they? And what were they going through? And where were they? And, you know, all of that. So you really take into consideration that, the, you know, the, kind of like the idea that this book wasn't written with a citizen of the United States in 2023 right. in mind. Right. Right. It was right. written to a very specific audience at a very specific time in a very specific context. And th that's all really valuable knowledge to then take that into consideration and, and kind of understand the point that was trying to be made. And then once you have that, then you can be like, okay, what, how can I assimilate this into my theology? Right, right. And those are those are really principles of interpretation or hermeneutics, and, and, and you can apply those same principles across mm -hmm. all the different books. But, you know, similarly, like, you know, what we might find out about God in Genesis mm -hmm. might be, you know, and if, if say that's all the only book we had. Like, I, I think Sarah and I were talking, like, I said, what if, like, say, there was some dystopian thing that happened and the world was destroyed and all that was left were the first two chapters of Genesis and the final two chapters of Revelation. And that's all you had, and you didn't know anything about God, and all you knew about God were from these four chapters. And that was, your, and you had to build your theology and you had to build your understanding of God from that. What would that say about you? What would that say about God if that's all you had? So, you know what I mean? Like, you're still applying the principles of interpretation no matter what you have. Um, mm -hmm. But what you're going to get in those four chapters might be different than everything you're going to get in the New Testament. So, that's all. Or the rest of the Old Testament. Or the rest of the Old Testament, <laughs> correct. Or the, rest of, or the rest of Genesis, for sure. Yeah. So, if that makes any sense. So, keeping in mind the main goal that we're uh, approaching theology with, which is to to know God, to love God, to know God's character more and more. We're, what we're going to do today to explore this idea is we're going to take a look at the Hebrew creation narrative and we're going to compare it to one of the major ancient Near Eastern creation narratives, the Mesopotamian creation narrative that you may have heard of called Enuma Elish. And we're going to compare and contrast these two creation narratives. And with the, the point being, what does our creation narrative reveal about the character of God and, his, and God's purposes for creating compared to the Mesopotamian creation narrative? So... We're going to be, we've mentioned John Walton at least twice already, yeah. and we're going to keep mentioning him just because he's fresh in our mind uh, with his new book about uh, biblical interpretations, specifically for the Old Testament. But I, I just loved a metaphor he used uh, when he was describing studying scripture and, and trying to find through scripture, trying to know God. And the, the metaphor or the illustration that he uses is um, facial recognition software. <laughs> and he said, as he understands it, every single time you use your device that has facial recognition software, every time it pings your face, it learns your face a little bit more. It, it fine-tunes and hones its understanding of what your face is. And so the longer you use it, the more it knows you and your face and can recognize you, even if 
you shave off your beard and, you know, uh, get a black eye or break your nose or, you know, no matter what happens, you know, that things like that happen, your facial recognition software will be still be able to recognize who you are. And he said that that is how he thinks about approaching scripture, that every time we approach scripture, or we approach our theology, we we're pinging the face of God. And our approach should be, how does this text or, you know, however you're, uh, whatever you're wrestling with theologically, how does this show me a little bit more about who God is and what God's character is? Mm. And so with that in mind, yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit more about these texts we're going to be looking at? Sure. And we're just very briefly, we're not going into great detail, but um, we're going to compare from uh, Enuma Elish, the Mesopotamian. Mesopotamian creation epic, we're just going to compare from tablet four, the separation of kind of the heavens and the earth, so to speak. And then we're going to read, we're going to read that from tablet four, and then we're going to read the Genesis account, a few verses, and then we're going to go into tablet six of Enuma Elish, Hmm. where it's talking about the creation of mankind. And then we're going to read the, uh, the Genesis Verses And so the thing we, I guess we want you to pay attention to or, or think about when you hear this maybe is, and this is kind of what we've discovered and, and you know, maybe we're wrong, but um, what does it say about the character of God when you compare these two readings? So here goes, here goes uh, Enumel Elish, Tablet 4. And these are lines 127 through 141. And this is Marduk. Um, the god Marduk, who was one of the, I think he was the god of the city of Babylon. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. He strengthened his hold on the bound gods and returned to Tiamat, whom he bound. Bel placed his feet on the lower parts of Tiamat and with his merciless club smashed her skull. He severed her arteries and let the north wind bear up her blood to give the news. His father saw it and were glad and exalted. They brought gifts and presents to him. Bell rested, surveying the corpse. In order to divide the lump by a clever scheme, he split her into two like a dried fish. One half of her he set up and stretched out as the heavens. He stretched the skin and appointed a watch, with the instruction not to let her waters escape. He crossed over the heavens, surveyed the celestial parts. Okay, so that is from Tablet 4. And now let's just read Genesis um, the separation of the heavens. Okay. And this is, uh, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so, and God called, and God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. Hmm. So, Interesting, right? Yeah, major difference. Yeah, well, what are those differences? Yeah, so it's fascinating that the creation account of the Mesopotamian people was filled with murder, a, a gruesome murder. I mean, smashing a skull, severing arteries. Right. Um, and if you read further, like th- if you read the whole thing, there's like scheming and trickery and warring and warring jealousy, and battle, and right? Hoarding, yeah. Um, jealousy, all kinds of things. You know, the fact that 
you know, it's it's fascinating to me that the Mesopotamian narrative has Marduk, the is that right? Marduk, the god, um, surveying the corpse, like kind of st- stopping and like looking at what he's done, and then it says he rested. So you know, like that's a very interesting parallel right. to the Hebrew narrative. Um, but the fact that the heavens, God, Marduk. Um, constructed the heavens out of half of a corpse, right. basically. So when these people would look up and see the heavens, they would be like, oh, that's the dead body of this other rival god, yeah, right? That right. that our god defeated. Um, so right, there's still tribalism, like baked into the creation. Mm-hmm. It's part of the fabric of the creation, exactly. So yeah, like the fact that me as a Mesopotamian, ancient nearest and ancient Mesopotamian woman, what I would have been taught, from, you know, from childhood is that um, the gods are violent. Uh, that murder is just the way the powerful reign. Right. Right. That yeah, this violence is just f- from from beginning to end. It's just filled well, and with also the trickery, the cunning. The, you know, and making plans behind people's backs. And the celebration of violence. The celebration of it, exactly. Yeah. No, it's exactly. So let's just read, uh, let's well, just, sh- Should we say something about uh, Genesis? Well, like, I, I, we, yeah, we can. Yeah. I was also going to wait like, yeah. when we get to, let me read this final piece yeah. and then we'll, we'll do that. Okay. So this is from Tablet 6 of uh, Enuma Leash. This is lines 30 to 37. And it's just kind of, just cut it up here. So here we go. Who made Tiamat rebel and set battle in motion? They bound him, holding him before Ea. They inflicted the penalty on him and severed his blood vessels. From his blood, he, Ea, created mankind, on whom he imposed the service of the gods and set the gods free. After the wise Ea, sorry, sorry, I've been saying Ea, Ea, after the wise Ea had created mankind and had imposed the service of the gods upon them, that task is beyond comprehension. So mm-hmm. that's kind of a little bit taken out of context, but there, there it was. So now let's read um, Genesis. And then God said, let us make man in our image mm-hmm. after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and da 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 So... Again, what do you see between the character of the Christian God, the Judeo-Christian God, compared to the character of the Mesopotamian gods, Mesopotamian gods? There's, there's a, quite a contrast. Mm-hmm. Well, and even, um, you know, we were talking about biblical anthropology, like the idea of what, is, what are people for in, in God's eyes? Yeah. So in the Mesopotamian um, narrative, mankind is basically the slave, or are basically the slave of God. Yeah, the slaves. I'm getting no, for sure. Um, you know, they're 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 put in the service of God. So the gods are set free because they no longer have to work, and the humans are to set up shrines to the gods and to and to be the slaves of God. Right. Yeah, and I think if you read, like I said, if you read the full the full tablet, you see that you know that was a deal that Marduk made with some other god, mm-hmm. and somewhere in the bargain, he said, "I'll give you humans to do your work," because the the god was tired of working, 
And so, yeah, what does that tell the humans about how life should go, how life should run, right? Right. Well, you know, like number one, the gods can't be trusted. The gods are fickle and petty and have, you know, low character, however you want to say that, are not very virtuous. Right. So, so yeah, like fear of God for, you know, the Mesopotamian person would be like, like literal fear. Um, yeah, it's also interesting. In an Egyptian account, um, humans are called, they're actually called the cattle of the gods, mm. which is very interesting. So another ancient Near Eastern uh, epic refers to humans as like the slaves of the gods. Right. But so so I, I just want to add on to what you just yeah. said there that um, so Pharaoh as God's representative, right, um, was treating the his slaves, the Hebrew slaves, the way that he believed that God treated people. And so it's, once again, the idea being that your theology has everything to do, like your understanding of God's character has everything to do with the way you treat creation, the, right. the way you treat people. So, And I was going to say what is fascinating to me in that particular case is that the writer of Genesis we attribute to Moses, um, but whoever it was, it, he's possibly, he knows the history of of the Israelites under under Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. And and yet they knew, they would have known, especially if it was Moses, he was he was brought in, right? According to tradition, he was brought into Pharaoh's house. He was he was in in essence made royalty. Yeah. So he would know their creation story. Yeah. And he would know that and by the way, in their creation story, they allowed, they basically gave plants and animals for humans to eat as food. But in our creation story, in the Christian creation, Judeo-Christian creation story, only plants were given for food. So it's interesting to me that someone who came out of that, that um, Egyptian mindset, knew their worldview, knew their history, knew their culture, authored a book that didn't include that. So that goes right to... Yeah, another thing that John Walton wrote in his most recent book, which is basically that when the writer of scripture says something that the ancient Near Eastern audience would have already believed, would have already thought to be true, that is not revelation. Okay, so again, like everybody at that time believed that God created the world. So that, wa that wasn't news. That wasn't a revelation. But every, what, what would have been surprising to them, that is what revelation is. So you can identify what is revelation, what, revelatory about this passage of Scripture. Mm. It's what would have been surprising to the ancient Near Eastern person. And so you just named a couple of them. Like right. the, the fact, well, we haven't even talked about... Yeah, we haven't gotten into the Genesis account. What, it's, what it says about people, but... but yeah, what you just said, like the gods in the Egyptian creation narrative say... In one of them, they have, there's a few, but yeah. You can eat animals and plants. Where Why is it that in the Hebrew creation narrative, God specifically, explicitly lays out, I've, I've, I've prepared this place for you in the first three days of creation. For the first three or four days of creation, I was just preparing the place. I made light. 
I made water and separated the waters. I made dry land, and then I filled it with green growing plants. Right. So I've prepared this place for you. On the fourth day, he created the sun, the moon, stars, and the planets. And then he starts creating sentient beings. He starts filling the, the sky and the seas and then the land animals and then the humans. So he spends, God's, in our creation narrative, God spends the first period of, of creation just preparing a place, a place that provides everything you need to thrive. Right. And, cl- and, and one of the first things God says as I've, to the people, I've given you plants for food. And, then he, and God says to the animals, I've given you plants for food. So where's the violence? You know, where's the predation? Right. Where's the fear of you know, not having enough and having to kill for food? Right. It's, it's not there. It's not there. And it's like I said, it's, it's within the fabric of the creation. It's in, almost in the DNA of the creation that there is no violence. There is no predation. There is no backbiting. There's no jealousy. There is no warring and battling. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's almost like God speaks it, it happens, and then he declares it good. Right. And and, and interestingly... And there's abundance for everyone. Yeah, and interestingly, and this is, you know, we always have to be careful about comparing um, the Israelis, or the Israeli, the Israelite story to the ancient Near East, you know, you just have to be careful that you, you want to make broad strokes, you know, you know, but what was somewhat unique about the Israelites in the Hebrew story is that it was a monotheistic God within a, within many cultures that were polytheistic. Okay. Mm-hmm. They weren't the only monotheistic faith, but they were one of few. And that and to me seems very revelatory. Yeah. Okay. And because it does eliminate all this warring and battling, right? But you have this God. And what's interesting about this, and we didn't, we haven't really got into it, and these are things we're going to get into as this podcast continues on, is that when we talk about the image of God, you know, that's, that's, a, that's royal language. And in other ancient Near Eastern cultures, the only person that ever got the image of God was the king, the mm-hmm. king on earth. And that he was part God, but he had the image of God. In the Judeo-Christian story, every human has the image of God. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason for that. And God sets up this model. And so the creation story, what we're trying to get at here is, and this is what we're discovering, is that this, the way God created says something about who he is. Yeah. Right. So like this kind of, if I could be so bold as to even take it maybe another step, which is, you know, a big word that we do emphasize in the church, in our theology, is dominion, subdue it, you know, all this kind of language. But what we fail to recognize is, first of all, we God already modeled, quote-unquote, rule, right? right? God modeled what kind of rule, what kind of dominion, what kind of subduing he was talking, God was talking about by we can see how God set up creation right. with this benevolence, with this care and compassion, with this uh, provision, right? With this variety and like this creation that just renews itself right. continually. So he, so God passes the baton. He says, You're, all of mankind is my image bearer on this planet. And he says, be responsible for it. Right. You are now to rule it and rule it the way I rule. 
which is this kind and like almost like benevolent. It's almost like um, I'm trying to think of the word, but it's almost the way a parent cares for a child. Right. You know, it's it's self-sacrificial. I mean, we haven't really gotten that yet in the text, but it's it's a it's not about let me exploit what is under me or let me um, profit from what's what I have dominion over right. or let me use it as entertainment or let me abuse it or no worse we're, we're <laughs> God's passes the baton right. to, to people and say and says now it now it's your responsibility right and I think one of the things I've said is is we're ambassadors and imagine you know pick your favorite president of the United States or world leader and that person imagine you're an ambassador for that person in another country mm-hmm now, if you're in that other country doing your own thing, right, you're gonna squandering the re- the his yeah the president's not, resources. Yeah, you're not fulfilling his mission, whatever right. his will is, and so you're probably gonna get called back, probably gonna get fired, mm-hmm. right? So the idea is that we are ambassadors and we're doing God's mission. We're p- promoting His kingdom, not our own, and we're gonna get into all of this. We're gonna get into a lot of the Hebrew words. You know, dominion and image and subdue and all yeah. of these fun words and rule. Yeah, and it makes you even, you know, even question like, because um, I think I've heard people say like the the act of creation wasn't complete. Like God was saying, "I've I've created you in my image, right. so you are a creator, right? As well, and so like go and and make this." Like broaden the boundaries of my kingdom. Right, and that's and what we see with Adam, right? Like he started naming the animals. God brought him the animals and he named the animals. That was him, in essence, creating. Yeah. That was that was Adam participating in the creation. I think that's what God wants from us. We're not slaves. We are participants, willing that, you know, he made us to participate with him in this creation. And that's what we're meant to do. And, and that's what we're still meant to do. And I think one of the things I want to get to, we want to get to in this podcast is get to what is the goal of creation mm-hmm. and where are we going to end up? So here are today's takeaways. Uh, number one, theology, the goal of theology is to know God, to seek God's face and to worship God. Uh, number two, that we are all theologians, whether we know it or not. And uh, number three, that our goal is to hone our theology. And we do that through interacting with scripture and through conversation uh, in community and with our own walk with God and what we experience with God in our relationship. Uh, Number four, historically, the church's theology has tended to be very anthropocentric, which is understandable given our history. But it's time to start broadening our theology that God cares not just for every human, but God cares for, there's, and there's evidence, there's scriptural evidence that God cares deeply for all of God's creation. Um, number five, when you compare our uh, creation narrative found in our scriptures to other ancient, ancient Near Eastern um, creation narratives, namely uh, the Mesopotamian one today, there's a stark difference. And and the revelation of our narrative is that God is a God of peace and a God of love and provision and abundance. And 
number six, that God passed the baton to us and, and told us to rule creation in the same way that God rules. And so, yeah, as you go about the rest of your day, about the rest of your week, maybe start to consider, or maybe you already have been considering um, how much God cares for the rest of creation and how we are charged to, to rule as God rules. Yeah, well said. <laughs> so that's good stuff yeah we're looking forward to uh to this podcast and this journey yeah so thank you for spending some time with us and until next time this has been vegan theology for the least of these yeah. all right take care see you next time bye